I wanted to start out tonight just talking about my, my own salvation. And so I'm not exactly sure how old I was. Uh, my dad's right here. He can, he can, I don't know if you remember. Uh, I'm going to share this story. You tell me if you remember. I remember some church in Carlsbad <laughs> that we were going to. And uh, I believe I was probably about six years old. And I remember going into the children's area, and if, if I remember right, it had a slight slope to the room. And uh, I don't know if it was my first time there or what. I really don't remember anything else, but I, uh, I remember this, uh, this big stand with a cutout window in it and these animals that came to life and puppets, and uh, it, was, it was pretty awesome. I think the pastor is wanting to start a puppet ministry here again. Actually, that's not true. Uh, we're not going to do that. But I heard the gospel from these puppets at this church, and I remember uh, just, just being, I don't think I was in awe, though I was six. I was probably in awe of the puppets for sure, because that's just cool when you're six years old. You're like, how are those things talking? I've never seen that happen before. And so I'm trying to figure that out, but I'm listening to the message that they're sharing, and they're just sharing the gospel, just straight out to all these kids. Uh, I felt like I was one of at least 100 kids in there, um, and uh, that's, that's where I heard the gospel for the very first time. And when I heard it, I remember thinking, I want to follow Jesus. And, and the reason I wanted to follow Jesus and put my faith in him was because of what I heard that he did. I heard about my sin, and I heard that he had made a way to pay for my sin, the things bad that I had done, and that he had made a way for me to be with God, and he would forgive me of my sin. And at six, I mean, you could imagine some of the sin I had been involved in, pretty deep stuff at that age. Uh, but I do remember feeling I am separate. I, I am separated from God. This isn't a good place to be. And so that's where I gave my life to Christ. And uh, the only other thing that I remember is walking across the street, I guess back to our car, and I think holding your hand or my mom's hand and just telling you guys that, that I had been saved. And uh, it, was a, it was a great moment for me. Um, and it's, it's something I obviously look, look back on with fondness. I have no idea if, if that memory is just so fuzzy, but that's exactly how I remember it. And uh, uh, it, it obviously changed my life. I mean, a six-year-old understanding even just enough about his sin to put his faith in Christ is a huge thing. I knew that my sin was bad. I knew what sin was because the, I guess the puppets, Mr. Puppet maybe, explained that very well to me. I knew that my sin was taken by Jesus on the cross. I knew that that left me as, as, it, as I stood before God sinless because it had been removed and I had received God's righteousness. I had received Christ's holiness on my life. And so uh, that's really uh, kind of how that all happened. And I think the key to that, though, was, was me understanding sin. Uh, I think over the course of uh, my very few years, I'm very, very young, uh, but over the course of, of my life, I think my sensitivity to sin has fluctuated, okay? Because as you know, I haven't stopped sinning. That would, be, that would have been awesome. Had, uh, I just put my faith in Christ and then just stopped sinning from then on. It doesn't work like that. He does forgive me for all of my sin. 
past, present, and future, but I continue to realize that sin every single day, right? And what I'm saying is that over the years, my sensitivity to the way that I would sin and the things that I do has fluctuated. Maybe sometimes I feel like, you know what, my sin is, it really is bad. It's really bad. And there's other times where I'm kind of flippant about my sin. I don't know if you ever get there. Maybe it's not so big of a sin. Maybe it's one of the smaller ones and you're just like, well, everybody probably does that. And so I've seen that my sensitivity just in different points in my life to my sin has, has changed over time. And I don't think that that's a good thing. I think that that's a bad thing. I think we always need to see sin for exactly what it is, and we always need to be deeply remorseful uh, about our sin, and we always need to hate our sin and, and be attacking our sin and, uh, and things like this. But I think because sin is a normal part of our experience, I think we're just kind of like, yeah, well, I mean, we're sinners. Of course I, of course I sin. But there's other times when we sin and we're like, we just feel so much shame about those sins. And it should be all of them. It shouldn't just be the big ones or the, the serious ones or the ones that we got caught in. It should be all of our sin. We should be uh, remorseful and thinking about that um, and not thinking it's normal so it doesn't matter, uh, but it is normal and it does uh, matter. Our culture, I think, hates the idea of sin. Now, they don't hate sin, all right? That's not what I said. Our culture does not hate sin in a, in a good way. They hate sin in a bad way. They hate sin as they don't want to say that they're sinning and they don't want to recognize that there's something wrong within their lives. And so what's happening in our culture right now is, I mean, it's, it's absolutely astounding. I, I never thought that we would be where we are right now as a society, but this is what, what is happening with sin. It's like we, we know something as a culture we know something is wrong, but we don't like being in the wrong. And so what our culture is doing right now is it's normalizing sin, all right? So just take, for example, I mean, you could, we could name a whole bunch of things, but uh, just for, uh, for the sake of argument right now, we'll just talk uh, just about abortion, okay? We know, all right, as a culture, listen, I know that we know that this is wrong. But because people want to do it and because it makes their life easier, they, they have been preaching year after year, day after day, that it's not wrong, that it's actually your right, that you can do whatever you want. And so the tide has changed where, as uh, I mean, 70 years ago, we would have never thought these things. And now the, these things are so normal within our culture. This is happening with so many different things. I mean, that, that the culture says, well, we don't like being called different and we don't like being called bad and the things that we are doing is bad. So what we're going to do is we're going to flip the script and we're going to say, no, what we're doing is good and you're bad for calling it bad. And we're going to start teaching your kids that everything that we do is good. And when your kids grow up, our sin is going to be normal. Our sin isn't going to be very bad anymore because it's accepted within the wide scope of our culture. And so I think that's what we're doing with sin. And I think that seeps into the church. It has to. We don't want it to. But there's some influence 
of the world upon the church because we're all living in the world. I mean, we, we see the same movies. And I, I don't know if you remembered, I mean, just watching TV shows and the things that they put in TV show na- shows now that even when I was a kid, which was not very long ago, I just want to remind you again, uh, those things have changed so much. And whereas a long time ago, I might have said, why would they put that in a TV show? Now, what are we saying? Well, it's, it's just normal. I don't agree with it, but I mean, that's how all shows are now, right? And so this sin becomes normalized uh, in our culture. Now, I know that we know better. The church knows better than to just let our sin uh, not mean anything to us. And I know that we know that a sacrifice was made for us. And so we know, we know the seriousness of our sin, even if our sensitivity to our own sin maybe fluctuates sometimes. Uh, but we, we know what it costs Christ. I think sometimes the problem with that, though, is that Christ's sacrifice for you and for me was almost 2,000 years ago. And you and I weren't there. We didn't see, we have, to, we have to imagine. We know that it happened. We know that Christ died for our sin, but we, we have to imagine what happened for our sin. It wasn't something that we were there for. I mean, if every time we sin, somehow God would just transport us back to the cross, I think we would probably take our sin a lot more serious. But I think sometimes, because maybe because our, cultural, our culture is normalizing it, Maybe because we're separated so far from the cross, we don't, we don't take our sin so serious. Whereas I think in Scripture, they, they did take their sin pretty serious. In seminary, the, uh, the main thing that they teach their, their new students, probably the first thing that I learned was uh, don't ever ever teach from the book of Leviticus, it will bore people and they'll just leave. Uh, So what I'm going to do is uh, teach from the book of Leviticus. Uh, They did not ever say that. Uh, So I'm just reading in Leviticus right now. And as I've I've been reading through, I I know you're just like, I know it's such a riveting book. Of course you were in Leviticus. We all are right now. Uh, But as I'm reading and I I just begin to see that there's a pattern growing within the first chapters uh, of the book. And I I just kind of wanted to share that just because it's been on my heart. I talked about it with my connect group this last week. Um, uh, And so that's what I want to do. So we're going to be in the first chapter of Leviticus, um, probably your favorite chapter of Leviticus. Um, And that's that's where we're going to be. I hope that that the Lord just uses this in your life like he's used it in mine. And I hope by the end of this, we just leave with a, with a deeper sense of the fact that our sin is, is dark, it's terrible, it's evil, uh, and, and it causes so much pain uh, in our lives. Um, the, the last thing that I want to say about this, and, and it's another, uh, another thing that just kind of caught me maybe a little off guard today, is I, I did a funeral today, um, and it was at 1.30, and uh, every time I do a funeral, I'm reminded about the seriousness of sin. Not the seriousness of the sin of that person who passed away, but the seriousness 
of sin entering the world and causing death. How could, how could I be flippant about sin when I know that it has brought death into our world? All of our loved ones, all of us. I don't know if you know this, the death rate is, is uh, 100%. Uh, minus Jesus, he came back. All right, that's it. We're all gonna make it. We're all gonna be part of that rate someday. And the reason is, it's not because God made us mortal or anything like that. The reason is, is that sin came and it ruined everything. And so I hope that we leave today just maybe thinking of our sin a little bit different. Let's go to Leviticus 1, verse 1. This is what it says. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was the tabernacle, okay? So just to give you a little context of where we're going today, uh, if you just go back on mine, it's the page before, all right? So if you look on the page before, the chapter before, you'd be in Exodus 40, and it's talking about the tabernacle finally being built, and that it's taken all of these people and all of these donations and all of these workers to, to build this tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was, was really going to be used for, for two things. God was going to reveal his word there. But the tabernacle was also going to be the, the place where God and his presence would be. All right, And so uh, the tabernacle is very, very important to, uh, to the Jews. And uh, if we just kind of skipped, skipped back, and uh, uh, we we're not going to see it on the screen, but I want to read to you after that tabernacle is constructed and everything's good, uh, this, is, this is what it says. Then the cloud, the cloud that had been guiding them, covered the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and by fire was in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. That's a pretty amazing text right there. It sums up the book of Exodus. I mean, this, this was huge, all right? And so when it says that the Lord called Moses and he spoke to him from the tent of meeting, I mean, this is, this is big. God is speaking now from a new place. It was up on top of the mountain, right? Now that the tabernacle was constructed and everything was done, the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle and God begins to speak to Moses there and it was portable, okay? This was huge. It's not just the one top of the mountain now. Whenever the cloud lifts, we will follow where God leads. If it settles and it doesn't lift, we stay. And wherever we are, God will be with us. That was a huge, huge thing. Now, you and I uh, aren't too blown away by that because we know that we have the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. It wasn't so in, in this day. God's, uh, God's presence was, was local, 
and uh, it, was, it was a huge thing. And so God begins speaking from the tent of meeting, and this is what he says in verse 2. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock, all right? So what we're about to get into is all of the different offerings and all of the different sacrifices. And this is, there's only six chapters of this, so don't worry, we're only gonna be here a few hours. Uh, it's not gonna be that big of a deal. Uh, no, but this is talking about all of those different sacrifices. Everything that God was going to set up for his people to be right with him. And it was six different sacrifices and offerings in total uh, that they would have to do to have a right relationship with God. Why did they have to have a right relationship with God? What's the same reason that you need to have a right relationship with the Lord? Because their sin separated them from their God. Just like our sin separates us from God. And so he says this, I want you, Moses, to tell this to the people of Israel. Whenever you bring an offering, bring it of livestock from the herd or from the flock. I, I, I didn't ever catch this before, but notice that it says from the herd or from the flock. It wasn't to be just some animal that you found. All right, you couldn't just go look for an animal and give it to the Lord. Oh, well, there's one. We'll just bring that one. It had to be from yours. Why? Because your sacrifice needed to cost you, okay? And so God is already setting this up. It wasn't, it wasn't an animal from the wild. It had to be from your flock or from your herd, from your cattle or, or what have you. Verse three, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd. Now, a burnt offering was, was really kind of the standard offering that really communicated devotion and dedication to the Lord. Okay, this was just an offering. This wasn't because you specifically did something. This was specifically because you were saying, I'm devoted to you, Lord. I'm dedicated to you. I am yours, and I want you to accept me, okay? This is that sacrifice. There's a whole bunch of different sacrifices. We're not going to get into all of them because I can't cover that in the, in the three hours that I have right now. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but there's, there's grain offerings, you can see at the, at the top of chapter 2, peace offerings in chapter 3, sin offerings, uh, and all of these are, are different. Uh, there were sin offerings that were for unintentional sin. There was trespass offerings. Uh, there was guilt offerings, which is if you did something against people or God or both. Uh, and so there's just a lot of different uh, kinds of offerings. The burnt offering was just kind of a general sacrifice, okay? But I want you to hear this. It's still an atoning sacrifice, okay? It wasn't just a, I'll just kill this animal. No, it was still a, an atoning sacrifice, okay? And we'll get to that word uh, in just a second. So his offering is a burnt offering from the herd. He shall offer a male without blemish. Now, we, if you know much about the New Testament, this is really just foreshadowing Christ, right? We've, we've talked about this. David talks about this all, all the time. The Old Testament is a book of promise, and the New Testament is a book of fulfillment. This is one of those things that, uh, that finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and everything uh, in this whole sacrificial system was pointing to Jesus the whole, the whole time. And so right here, um, it says, a male without blemish. Now, that was like it could 
couldn't be a lame uh, animal. It couldn't have like one eye. You're like, right, give them the one, give God the one-eyed sheep because that one hits stuff all the time. I don't know. It's, it doesn't look very healthy. Let's give God that one. That's not how it worked with, with God. He says, you need to give me the best, the best of what you have, what you could get the most money for if you sold. And, and uh, some of the other uh, law offerings and things like that, uh, it talks about you have to take this to the priest and they have to give you an estimate of how much it costs. And it has to be a certain amount because it has to cost you. All right? So a male without blemish. Obviously, Jesus Christ uh, was without the blemish of sin in his life. And so we can see that uh, even this burnt offering just foreshadowed who Jesus is. He came, he fulfilled this. It's beautiful. Um, and it says, he shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting. All right, so just picture yourself. Uh, everybody loves to, to call me Average Joe or Joe Average. You guys heard that before. I, every now and then I'll be meeting somebody and they're like, oh, Average Joe. I was like, okay, you could call me whatever you want. That's fine. So rem just think of, of yourself as an average person in that day and picture yourself going through these things that we're about to read, okay? First, picking one animal out of your herd and then bringing it to the entrance of the new tent, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Why? So that you may be accepted before the Lord. Why? Because you weren't accepted before the Lord. Not without an animal. You sure weren't. Absolutely not. Not in the way that God set this up. Let's go to the next verse. This is verse 4. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. All right, picture yourself there. You're at the tabernacle. You want to show your dedication and your devotion to God. You've brought your animal. Maybe you brought a bull. And you have your bull there. And before you hand the bull over and before anything else happens, you, you place your hand on the bull's head. It's, it's a way for you to identify with the bull because the bull is about to do something huge for you. In fact... That bull, he's been a good bull all of his life. He's a spotless bull, never done anything wrong. He's never sinned against God, but he's about to die. He's about to be sacrificed for your sin. So there you are, and you put your hand on it to identify with it. Let's keep going. And it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. Go back to, the, to that last one. I'm going to read it again. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him, by who? By God, to make atonement for the person who had brought the bull. So if that's you, it would make atonement for you. What does that word atonement mean? Uh, it's, it's pretty much the same word that we get propitiation. It means to cover, to cover over. Propitiation means to satisfy the wrath of God. All right? When you do this, when you bring this bull, the Lord is going to accept you because the bull is going to cover your sins. The blood of the bull, the life of the bull will cover or appease God's wrath on your behalf and God accepts that and will accept you, all right? Are you getting the picture now? You thinking your sin might be a little more serious? 
this is big time. That would happen. These people would do this time and time after another. Let's go to the next verse. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. Not like, thank you, priests. I'll go now. Appreciate it. No, it was a little more gruesome than that. You would have to kill your bull or your goat or your pigeon or whatever it was that you brought, your ram. You'd kill it there before Yahweh, the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood. I mean, this is a disgusting, disgusting thing. I, I've, I've uh, taught on the uh, Ark of the Covenant before, and I think we always picture the Ark of the Covenant there in the tabernacle as this beautiful, gold, shining thing. Do you know what they did to that thing? The high priest, once a year, would go in, and he would take blood, and he would pour it all over that thing. It didn't look nice and shiny. It was scabbed over with all of the blood that was making atonement for the people of Israel. So now this person has to kill the bull before the Lord. Aaron's sons, the priests, are going to bring the blood, and they're going to throw the blood against the sides of the altar. I mean, does this just sound, this sounds like, like a horror movie, right? Like, I mean, just pictured, I mean, just blood splatters everywhere. Throw it against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting, at the entrance of the tabernacle. Let's go to the next verse. Then he shall flay the burnt offerings and cut it into pieces. Why? Because he wants to be accepted by God. Because this bull is going to make an atonement for him. So now we're getting into the nitty gritty. Cut that thing open and cut it into pieces. This is what your sin has brought upon this bull, this innocent bull. Let's go to the next verse. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. Let's keep going uh, all the way to verse 9. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire of the altar, but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The Lord is pleased with this. Why? Because it's a, it's a propitiation. It, it satisfies God's wrath against sin. He accepts it as an atonement for the person making the sacrifice. And these sacrifices, obviously, and sacrifices like it would be made often. The richer you were, the larger animal you, prov- you would provide. If you, didn't, if you didn't have a lot of money, you wouldn't provide a bull. Maybe it was uh, a couple turtle doves. I believe that's what it is. Uh, turtle doves or pigeons. Um, and so you see even a hierarchy, but no matter what, it had to cost you. And no matter what, it had to be a blood sacrifice to atone for your sin. So here's, here's what I'm going to leave you with. I'll leave you with a couple questions. It'll be homework for you, all right? Do you, do you take your sin as seriously as that guy? Could you imagine having to do this just to have a relationship with God? I've talked to my kids. I, when I was on the mission field, I used to talk about this. I said, uh, and, and we'd talk about sacrifice. I said, what do you think you need to do now? And uh, we hadn't get, gotten to Jesus. They didn't know anything else. And they said, I guess we need to go kill a chicken. And I was, I was like, 
Yeah, you're right. But don't do it because we're not finished with the story, okay? You're understanding, though, that your sin requires a blood sacrifice. So your first homework assignment is just to think about that. Do I take my sin as seriously as the guy who had to kill the animal to make atonement for himself? And then think about this. Because Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, the one who all of these sacrifices was pointing to. In fact, the reason that these sacrifices were able to make atonement was because of Jesus' blood in the future, just like it's Jesus' blood in the past for us. Ask yourself this question. Do I take my sin as serious as Christ dying for me? All of it, not just the big ones, the little ones, the in-between ones, all of them. And think, I wonder if I had to make a sacrifice today if I sinned. I wonder if I'd be less likely to sin. I wonder if I would take my sin a little more seriously if I had to kill something today because of it. You don't because of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice for you. But because we're so far removed from it, I think... And because sin is getting so normal, I I just feel like we're starting to let that slip. So don't. Remember that your sin is bad. It cost Christ his life. I know everybody knows that in here. But let's take our sin more seriously, even the things that we think aren't so serious. That is all I have for you guys today. Thank you guys for coming. We'll see you back next week.